we're closing out our series on being messy. And there's some beautiful parts of walking with Christ, but there's also some messy parts about walking with Christ. And we're going to jump right in to Romans 3.23. And what that verse says is, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. And Matt kind of outlined last week, the last two weeks really, the already but not yet. So Christ has already died for us. He's already poured his blood out for us. The not yet is what's coming. He's returning. But we're in this messy middle, the sanctification process, the, this messy middle, right? And he showed a picture, a really good visual. If you didn't see it last week, I really encourage you to go back and take a look. He showed a picture of a mirror. And the back of the mirror had these things out, like get, let go, let God, grace, I love Jesus. All those are good things, right? But I read a book a while back called Not a Fan. And we're not called to be fans of Jesus. We're called to be followers of Jesus. So then he showed the other side of the mirror. We're supposed to be a reflection of Christ, not just a sticker that says we're a reflection of Christ. So sometimes it's easier to say it or to have a sticker than to reflect it, right? So we have to receive it first. So in fire safety, there's this thing called a fire triangle. I'm going to put a visual up here for you. So for there to be a fire, you need three components. You need heat, you need oxygen, and you need a fuel source. So for there to be a fire, for us to stop a fire, to prevent a fire, or to stop a fire that's already happening, we need to stop the heat. That's what water does. It decreases the amount of heat available to a fire. We need to decrease the amount of oxygen. That's what happens when we stomp on a fire or if we put a blanket over it. Or decrease the fuel. So if you have a piece of wood burning, you get all the other wood out from around it, it's going to be self-containing. The, the fuel is gone. So fire can be prevented or extinguished by getting rid of any one of those. So this next slide, I made this up, roll with me, is the... The grace triangle. So week one, we talked about being messy by design. And that's, we have to receive grace first. We have to receive grace for ourselves first from God before we can get to the fullness of God's grace. We have to bring our mess. We have to reflect it. Even though we're messy, even though we have stuff, even though we've made choices, in spite of our cracks and our stains and our smudges, we still are called to reflect the grace of Christ. And then what we're going to talk about today is getting messy, responding with grace. So we have to receive it. If we don't receive it, we can't reflect it. If we don't reflect it, we can't respond with it. And if we're missing any one of those, we're missing the opportunity to act and love in the fullness of God's grace. But, but that brings us to a challenge. That, that's this messy middle that we're talking about, the sanctification process that we're talking about. And there's different levels of messy. So there's the messy that you can get with a Swiffer real quick or with a paper towel. That's, that's one type of messy. But then there, there's dirty job messy. Like there's next level messy. So like the show Dirty Jobs, if you've ever seen that before. So a few examples of that. He, in one episode, he was a sewer inspector. Top right, he was a horse test inspector. So he had to test racehorses, test their urine and their stool for a week for racehorses. The bottom right one's going to be your favorite. It's mine. It's a maggot farmer. Somebody farms maggots. 
Somebody does that for a living. That's messy, right? So I started thinking, what's a scriptural example of a dirty job? So you got up early to come in the church today, and we're going to talk about feet. It's a picture of some feet. I was just looking these up in the office, and people were walking by, like breaking eye contact with my computer screen, just looking for pictures of feet. So any podiatrist in the room, I apologize. But in general, feet are gross, right? People don't want to mess with feet, especially feet that are like these feet. They're in sandals all day. There's no socks. There's no pedicures. They're in sandals. They're walking on, they're barefoot maybe. They're walking on dirty roads, gravel roads all day. So you may see where I'm going with this. We're going to go to John chapter 13, verse 1. And we're going to look at a story about feet. John 13.1 says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So as you look at just those three verses, just the start of this chapter, Jesus already knew three things. In verse 1, he knows that his time with the apostles, with his disciples, is coming to an end. In verse 2, he knows that Judas is going to betray him. And in verse 3, he knows that he has total authority from God. At that point, he could do whatever he wanted. He has all of God's authority in that scenario. So he could do whatever he wanted. What would we do in that scenario? Maybe what have we done? When we know the outcome of a situation or the potential outcome of a situation, but we still have a choice to make. We still have a choice with that person we're walking with and how we're going to respond and how we're going to lead them. So let's look at what he did in verse 4. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. So culturally, there would have been a basin in the place, in the house, to wash feet. So usually you're washing your own feet, or there's a servant there to wash your feet. It would be unthinkable to have a teacher wash the feet of the students, to have the Messiah wash the feet of the disciples. And in Luke's uh, rendition of the Last Supper in Luke 22:24, the disciples were actually arguing. Luke 22:24 says, "And a dispute also developed among them as to which one of them was regarded as the greatest." And he said, "The greatest among you must become like the youngest, the leader, like a servant." So we don't know if he washed the feet because that set the table for it. The, the, their bickering set the table for that, or was he going to do that the whole time? Was he going to wash their feet the whole time? But we see this as an act of service, right? The washing of their feet. But I want to challenge us a bit. I'm going to show you one more foot picture here in a second. I want to challenge us a bit to look above the feet. I want you to think not just about the act of service, about washing the feet, but whose feet was he washing? We see the servanthood in that, but let's look at the grace in that. We see the why, 
Well, let's look at the who. So, first example is James, John, and Peter in Matthew 26, 38. So, to set the scene, Jesus is in Gethsemane. He's getting ready to be arrested. He knows it's coming. He has his disciples with him. He tells them, my soul is crushed. This person they've been walking with for three years is telling them, my soul is crushed. With grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch over me for even one hour? Like, they had one job. All they had to do was stay awake. Like, I did that last night watching the game. Like, we, we've all done that watching some terrible show like Alaskan State Troopers. Like, we stayed awake. Like, we can all do that, right? But as he's pouring his heart out to his father in prayer, they fell asleep. They fell asleep more than once. He pleaded with them, and they fell asleep again. But he still washed their feet. Our next example is Judas in Luke twenty-two forty-seven. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the 12 disciples. Judas walked over to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? So this man that he had welcomed as a disciple. Judas had no doubt seen healings, heard him preach. But as an, the ultimate insult, he betrayed them with a kiss. And for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus knew that, but Jesus still washed his feet. Our third example is Peter. So Christ has been arrested. Peter's nearby. He knows all this is happening. So they're going through the crowd. Who are this guy's followers? We have Jesus. He's arrested. Who are his followers? We want to identify who his followers were. So they, they come to Peter, and Peter says, Woman, I don't even know him. Peter's the guy that walked on water. He walked with his Savior on water. Peter's the guy that when Jesus was cleaning the feet, he said, you can't clean my feet. Like, I can't let you clean my feet. And then Jesus explained it to him, and he, Peter's like, clean my whole body. Like, don't clean my feet. Clean everything. Like, he, he's all over the place, right? Because he, he, I love his passion, but he doesn't just deny following him. He denies even knowing him. But Jesus still washed his feet. So Thomas is our third example. So Christ is risen. Christ is back. Thomas hasn't seen him yet. So they told Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound on his side. Thomas had no doubt. He knew that Lazarus had been raised from the dead. He'd seen the blind given sight. He knew the lame were able to walk again. He was exposed to teachings. He was exposed to countless miracles. But he still lacked faith. But Jesus still washed his feet. So as I was looking at the disciple disappointments, endurance for James, John, and Peter, the betrayal of Judas, the denial of Peter, and the doubt and lack of faith from Thomas, I started kind of doing a personal inventory, doing some Holy Spirit introspection of myself and realize that I'm prone to some of these same disappointments. So with 
endurance. So if I'm walking with someone that's battling addiction or someone that's going through some significant mental health challenges, do I have the endurance to walk with them and love them for the long haul? Can I stay awake? Can I not fall asleep on them? When I look at betrayal, my father stepped out of my life when I was 21. Haven't seen him since. If he's here today, hey, Pop. But if he returned, could I wash his feet? Like, he's been absent over half of my life. I have a daughter now. I know what it's like to be a father. I know what it's like to have love for a child. But would I have enough grace to be able to welcome him back? When I think about denial, I think of people that knew me before I knew Christ. I knew the old Mike. How would I act around them? People that I've never met before. Somebody I'm going to meet tomorrow that I don't know yet. Am I going to maybe not deny him, but not let them know who or where I really am in him, in Christ, because it's more comfortable? Would I reflect Christ? When I think of a doubt and a lack of faith, I think of people I've spent time with, or people I still am spending time with, that are going through long chronic illnesses and diseases. Can I walk with them long-term and pray confidently that I know God can heal them and pray like that, but also acknowledge he might not? Do I avoid it? Do I change the subject? Or do I show them grace? So just like for the disciples, the fullness of God's grace is bigger than all those examples. The disciples' examples, my examples, and we wonder why he did this. So sometimes Jesus answers with a parable where you gotta, he says something and then you got to go write it down and 2,000 years later we're still trying to figure out what he meant with this parable, right? But that's not what he did here. He explains it pretty clearly. So there's scripture cards in front of all of you. Um, we're going to look at John chapter 13, verses 12 through 17. So if you have a Bible, open it up to that. If you have an app, go ahead and go there. Or you could just close your eyes and... Let the word of God be read over you. We're going to John chapter 13, verses 12 through 17. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right because that's who I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is a messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So you look at the story from three vantage points. So Jesus showing his humility, his servanthood, his forgiveness, his grace, more importantly, his grace in spite of the actions and choices of the people around him. The disciples, it no doubt changed their mindset. It changed the way they saw him. It changed the way they defined service. It changed the way they interacted with people going forward. Changed the way they saw what it looked like to live out the things that Jesus taught. 
for us, it's a great example of our role in the body of Christ because of grace. So as we look back at the grace triangle, I love this verse, John 1.16. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. So first we have to receive that grace for ourselves. It's like when you're on the plane and the oxygen mask drops, you got to help yourself before you help others. First we have to receive that grace. we got to don our mask first in spite of our own messiness. Then we have to reflect it. So in spite of all that stuff we know about ourselves, in spite of the cracks and stains and smudges, we have to reflect it. And then we have to respond with grace because of the other two. Respond to other people's messiness. And that's how we get to the center, to the fullness of God's grace, to what he has for us, what he wants for us as individuals, what he wants for us as a church. So one more foot picture. I promise this is the last foot picture. <laughs> so as you look at this, whose feet can we wash as a church? Whose feet can you wash individually? Who can we serve? It doesn't have to be an overseas mission trip. It could be a family member. It could be a longtime friend or a neighbor. It might be Honduras or Peru with us this summer, and that's great. It might just be someone that doesn't look like you. It might be someone that doesn't vote like you. It might be someone that doesn't live near you. It might be someone that doesn't live like you. So I took a survey of some journey folks a while back and wanted to see, and I'm fairly new to journey. I've been here actually six, almost six months. Thank you, Journey. Um, I just realized that. But I took a survey. I wanted to see where the heart of Journey was. I don't want to assume anything, you know, so I wanted to get some feedback. So I did a survey, and I asked a couple questions. One of the questions was, I asked, what people groups do you feel most called to serve? Children, far away, number one. And number two was the homeless. So I asked another question, what areas of need do you feel most called to serve? as a church. Food insecurity, number one. And that aligns with some of the things that Journey has been doing for years. Homelessness is another one. And the third one kind of surprised me, foster care and adoption. Not, I didn't know that was one of the holy hurts that Journey has until I started, until I did that survey. So that was an eye-opener for me. So I want to share a few opportunities and a few new partnerships that we have, a few opportunities we have. And we, we still have the same ones we always have, like Bags of Hope, Hope House, Ada Jenkins, these other places that we partnered with for years. Those are still close partners and friends of Journey. But these new opportunities I want to share with you are some things we've been able to arrange based on some of your feedback. And the first one I want to share is a friend of mine that has a ministry called Watchmen of the Streets. So they're estimated 3,000 homeless people in Charlotte, Mecklenburg County. And Watchman goes, my buddy Heath takes his trailer out. He helps meet the immediate needs of people that are suffering from homelessness. But he also provides them resources to get a step up. If they, if they want to stop being homeless, some people want to stay there, and that's okay. 
But if they want to stop being homeless, if they want a way out, he helps them with resources to make that happen as well. He goes out twice a month, took a few people out with me last month. Some of y'all saw it on social media and want to join me next time. Come on, we'll do it. So that played out this past week. We had a guy come up to the church office. Gentleman living in his car, walked up, wasn't asking for money. Said he wanted to talk to a pastor, and he wanted prayer. We sat out at the picnic table outside of the office, and he just shared his heart with me. Walked to his car. He had one book in his car. It was a Bible. Talked to me about waiting for a job opportunity, and we were able to, because of some of the relationships we already have, Ada Jenkins, they have a bus that serves homeless people in the area. They were there in 20 minutes, met him with some food, some toiletries. We're still in touch with him. It wasn't a handout. It was a relationship. I want to share a map with you real quick. So that's us, Journey, up top. So we have a few partnerships. One is one we've had for a while, Caterpillar Ministries. So Caterpillar Ministries is based in Huntington Green, which is just about four miles from here. There are, I'll let you all do the math, 350 trailers and homes in Huntington Green, 2,200 people living in those 350 homes, four miles up the road from us. Hearts and Hands Food Pantry is on 115, just south of here a little bit. They have a service where they supply food. They deliver food to people in need. So we were able to connect those two, and starting within the next 30 days, there are going to be deliveries from Hearts and Hands going to families in Huntington Green. Then Torrance Creek Elementary School, just a few miles from us as well. We met with the principal there. Side note, first time I ever voluntarily met with the principal. <laughs> it goes so much better when you're wanting to be there. It's so much different. I love it. It was great. So I asked him, I said, what are, what are some of the ways a church can partner with you? And he said, no one's ever asked me that. I've been here seven years. I've never had a church approach me about partnering. So I said, let's talk about that. Turns out all of the kids in Huntington Green go to Torrance Creek Elementary School. So they have specific socioeconomic needs. They have specific cultural needs that, to be honest, his, a lot of his teachers weren't trained for. So we have an opportunity to serve these kids in their homes, help meet their food insecurity, and then also support them in their school and the teachers that are trying to teach them. Side note, for Torrance Creek on March 18th, next Saturday there's a cleanup day, and they've asked Journey to be a part of it. I'll be out there with my family. I'd love to see some of y'all out there as well. You can sign up on the Church Center app. But all these opportunities are within five miles of us. So then there's the other one we mentioned from the survey, the heart for foster care and adoption. So I'm going to invite a friend up here in just a moment, but I'm going to show a video first. So there's the group we're going to talk about is called Alongside Families. But there's another group called Congregations for Kids that, does, that works with, the foster, with foster, the foster care network. We're going to show a video that they put together, and it does just a really good job of helping you understand the need. And then we'll carry on with a little interview here, and I'll introduce you to a friend of mine. All right?
We are here, around every corner in our city. You do such a good job of protecting our identity that we've become invisible. We are all around you, but we've learned to just blend in. Social workers and foster parents are great, but there are not enough of them and they can't do it alone. As time ticks away, more of us arrive, and those that have been drifting in this world get older. I know my chances of finding a forever family are less now that I'm nine years old. They say it's because I don't look like a baby anymore. Everyone loves babies. As I get older, I know the odds continue to stack against me. Charlotte, North Carolina is known as the city of churches. There are over 950 churches here. So we're uniting the faith community to be a part of these kids' stories. These kids need to know that they are not alone. They're not invisible. We see them, we love them, and we're coming for them. Powerful video. Um, please welcome my friend Emily to the stage. So Emily is the executive director of a ministry we're partnering with uh, called Alongside Families. So Emily, welcome. Uh, I'd love to just start by you just sharing why. why. Why have you dove into this? Why is this where you decided to put all your time, energy, and effort? Yeah, this is really a, a burden that the Lord has placed on my heart to call out the local church to really be on the front lines of preventing kids who don't need to be in the foster care system from ever entering into the foster care system in the first place. And it's kind of a soft spot for me, a personal story, because when I was 15, my family was really in a crisis situation where my dad had a serious mental health breakdown and wasn't in a position to be able to provide for our family. And we experienced the body of Christ, just a little local church with maybe 40 families in that church who wrapped around our family and really provided for us for about six years that they rented, fully furnished a house, and paid for it for our family in order to keep our family intact. Um, and I truly believe our family could have become homeless at that point and could have been in a really bad situation and possibly some of my siblings even ending up in foster care if it hadn't been for the church. Beautiful. I love that you've repurposed uh, kind of the hand you were dealt. That's really cool. So introduce us to Alongside Families. Tell, uh, I know about it already, but please share with Journey um, what, what y'all do and what that looks like. So Alongside Families is really calling out, to, we mobilize and equip the local church to understand that there are so many kids in the foster care system that do not need to be there. So foster care is needed when abuse or neglect has occurred. But the problem is the foster care system is overwhelmed because 88% of kids that enter foster care in North Carolina isn't due to abuse. It's due to either neglect or a parent just being overwhelmed and not having the support that they need. And so here in our city, literally there can be a parent who, this is the challenge, they're 
facing a crisis, oftentimes a single mom, and they're socially isolated and living in poverty. And so just imagine being a single mom with zero support system who is living in poverty and you need to be hospitalized for two weeks and there's literally nobody safe to care for your kids during that time. You can lose your child to foster care just because you don't have the support system wrapping around you. Um, so what Alongside Families does is we partner with local churches to equip volunteer host families in those churches who just act like extended family to say, I'll care for your child temporarily, voluntarily while you get on your feet, and then we're going to wrap the whole church around you to become your extended family and keep your family intact. I love that. I love the heart of that. I love the way it involves the whole church, and we'll talk to you all, expand on that in just a moment, but if you could share a couple of the stories. You know, our series has been messy about how this, the day-to-day can get messy, but and I'm sure you have some good stories and some rough stories, but if you could share a couple of what it looks like, some real-life real stories. Yeah, so we've been doing this ministry. Um, I launched this ministry back in 2017, and we've been doing it for almost six years now. We've had over 230 hostings of kids and actually been able to reunify 100% of those children with their parents. But the heartbeat of what we do is past just those, you know, hosting a child for two nights or sometimes three months while a mom stabilizes. We want to build long-term relationships. And so it does get messy, like Mike said, because we're walking alongside families who are going through crises, who are living in poverty. And, you know, sometimes it's really beautiful and we get these lovely outcomes that we would like and sometimes we don't. So, you know, one story I'll share that's kind of along that kind of beautiful side of things. In the bottom left-hand corner there is Shatirika and her little baby daughter Kalani in the Mickey Mouse ear, Minnie Mouse ears. Um, Shatirika aged out of foster care. So she did. She aged out last year. She was 21 years old. And just like that stat- statistic, about 60% of them, she became homeless and with her eight, eight-month-old daughter when she aged out. Plus, she has a chronic health condition that requires that every couple of months she's hospitalized for a couple days. So when we met Shatirika... Um, she was in a medical emergency and refusing to go to the hospital, even though she needed to, because she said, no way, my baby's going to go into foster care. There's nobody to take care of her. Mm. Um, Thank God there was a social worker at the health department who knew about us. And we were able to care for baby Kalani for a couple of days while Shatirika was hospitalized. And since then, we've wrapped this whole community, that middle top picture is sort of Shatirika's community, just of so many families who have wrapped around and become like Shatirika's extended family. We have two host families who every time she's hospitalized, care for baby Kalani. Shatirika's gotten plugged into a missional community and goes every week and just last week was baptized. And so it's been, you know, she told us, when I chose life for my baby, I thought it was me and her against the world. She said, I cannot believe I have like these 15 Mm. family members now who are like my family. So that's kind of on the oh, this is going beautiful side, you know, the, but the reality is, like Mike said, there are situations where, you know, the Lord chose to step in when he knew the outcome was going to be bad with some of these disciples like Judas. Sometimes we step in saying, Lord, we don't know what the outcome's going to be. We just are choosing to be obedient. Um, there's another mom that we've been walking alongside for three years, and it's been a lot of ups and downs for the volunteers serving her. We hosted her kids for three months while she was homeless, living in a tent on the street. And we were able to get her into a transitional housing program. She was there for about three months before she was asked to leave the program. And so since that time, it's been a lot of in and out of homelessness and not really having any stability. And 
we have a host family with six children of their own who has walked alongside her for three years and become like her extended family. Um, and it's been painful for them. I mean, I, I will not sugarcoat that this can get really messy, that they shared, Emily, this is probably the most painful thing we've ever done as a family. And they said, this is also the most transformative thing we have ever done as a family. And they said, we would never change what our kids have experienced through this. Um, and so they're in a position now of really praying with the mom and considering whether they'll become legal guardians of the children because she's just not in a position to keep caring for them. Um, but so in the ups and downs, you know, she's had this experience of they have become like extended family despite how painful it is. And I truly believe my husband and I host and I know how hard it gets. We've gotten to where it's like, oh, you know, this is too hard. But I don't believe we can experience where Jesus says, I've come so you have life abundantly and have it more abundantly. Mm. If you want to experience that, the depths of the joy of abundant life, mm. you've got to be willing to experience the painful points. I think if we live our comfortable in our comfort zone lives, we might go coast through life comfortably and mostly mm. be happy, but we're not going to feel that depth of joy unless we're willing to get in the messy. Amen. Yeah. I know a handful of families that already partner with alongside families and Every one of them that I've met with, I just had coffee with one of the guys a few weeks ago, and I ask one question, and then 20 minutes about how much he loves what y'all do. So what a blessing it's been to his family and, and his kids as well. Um, so we got a few more minutes. So one of the key roles for to have this ministry in our church is to have a ministry coordinator. And we, like that's usually, that could be a hurdle or a speed bump to even get the ball rolling. We already have one of those. Somebody here at Journey has already volunteered to do that, so... We're so thankful for that. So, but I would, the model is it's not that person alone. It's it's all of us supporting that person, support and ultimately supporting those children and that those parents, right? So, could you kind of outline what the different roles are so we understand where as a church we could fit in? Yeah. So something I love about this ministry is I literally believe everybody in the church can do something in it. Amen. You know, we need host families who can say I could host a child for two nights. Some say I could host a child for three months. But we also need people who say, I'll be a support system, I'll help transport kids, I'll help with babysitting, I'll bring meals. We need people who will mentor. Somebody saying, I'll meet with a mom once a week to uh, be an advocate and a mentor to her and help her reach her goals. We need people to come alongside the host family and do home visits in the home each week for the kids. And then we literally need people who are saying, I'm a guy with a truck who will help every time a mom gets an apartment, help her move in. Um, it's just something that everybody can plug into. Oh, and we need volunteers to answer the support line. That can be done entirely from home to be the first point of contact for parents in crisis calling us. Awesome. Thank you. So we're going to have an, an interest meeting here at Journey. So on March 26th at 1230 after the second service over in the small auditorium, we're going to have an interest meeting. Now, no commitment required, but uh, we'd love for you to register for that just so we know how many people are coming. Emily and her husband, Lars, are gonna actually going to be out at a table outside after the service today, and they can answer your questions as well. But we, I know I speak for the church, and I say we're excited about being able to partner with y'all. And when I saw that that need was one of the needs that arose, one of the heart pulls that we have as a church, like it just, she, Emily was my first call because, because of what they do and how it's so beautiful. So I don't want there to ever be a reason in any of these opportunities that we're talking about that, that there's a stumbling block or a reason for you not to reach out and not be able to get plugged in. So I want to share my contact information with y'all. That's my email address. That's my personal cell phone number. Um, if any of this tugs at you at all, or two months from now, you know, hey, they were talking about alongside families, or they were talking about watchmen of the streets, 
I want you all to be able to reach out to me directly. I don't want you to have to go to a website to find me. I want you to be able to, I want to remove that stumbling block for you all. So please don't hesitate to reach out to me, even if it's just with questions. I, I'd love to, love to chat with you. So can we give uh, Emily a hand for sharing with us today? So as we close out the series on Messy, I'm going to pray for us, and I want to thank you all for being part of our morning today. Uh, Father God, thank you for your grace. Uh, we ask that each of us, whatever that means to us, Father, that, that we're able to receive that grace today, that, that you give us the courage and the opportunities and to recognize those opportunities that we're able to reflect that grace, Father, and we ask that we're able to respond, that as we share the gift that we've been given, Father, that we see the opportunities and we respond and let others see the love and grace that's available to them, Father. We are so thankful for that opportunity that you give us. I want to take this opportunity as a church to pray for Emily and Lars and uh, their baby that's on the way. We are so thankful for the gift of life, Lord, and we're thankful to pray for a healthy baby and, and, a, and a healthy pregnancy. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for alongside families. Pray right now, pray for the kids that are in that program already. Pray for the kids that aren't there yet that are coming and pray for the kids that we're going to receive as a church and be able to love on and support and show the grace and love of Christ, Father. Pray for the people in Huntington Green. Pray for the teachers and the students of Torrance Creek Elementary and for the Hearts and Hands Food Pantry and the need that they're meeting, Father. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this platform to be able to share it, and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.